As we begin here this morning, I want to play part of a song for you, and I want to see if you recognize this. So are you ready? Uh, Here we go. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing that some of you guys are singing along with that. Uh, How many of you know that song, yeah? And and, um, what was that song from? Toy Story. I knew that you'd know it. Um, You know, if you are a parent or a grandparent here this morning, you know the movie Toy Story, right? And and this movie came out, get this, and you're going to be shocked by this. You're probably not going to be able to guess this. But this movie came out in 1995. I mean, time flies, right? Well, in 1995, Toy Story hit the streets and it became an instant success. In fact, a lot of people say that this is the greatest animated film of all time. And it was a story about a powerful connection of friendship. It's really what the movie Toy Story is all about. Now, ironically enough, two years later, in 1997, the world was introduced to a virtual platform that would forever change the way that we think about friends. It was called social media. And in 1997, social media hit the streets. And it's kind of ironic because two years after this incredible blockbuster about friendship, we get what is supposed to be modern technology that is presented as this thing that is going to take friendships to a whole new level. Social media is defined as websites or applications that uh, enable people to create and share content or to connect or communicate with each other. That's what it was designed to do. And when it started in 1997, there was one small media, social media platform. Now there are literally hundreds of social media platforms on computers and smartphones and tablets. As a matter of fact, business insiders say this, Americans spend more time on social media than on any other major activity, including email. In our culture, we are on social media more than we are even on email. Now, if you are here today and you say, well, I don't even know what social media is. Listen, God bless you. (laughs) Here's what is tragic. The effects of social media has not brought greater friendships. As a matter of fact, I want you to listen to this, and this is a quote from an article. It is not a Christian quote. It is not from a Christian viewpoint, a Christian worldview. This is a publication that is put out by a magazine called The Atlantic. And the author, his name is Stephen Marsh. Here's what he said. We are living in an isolation that would have been unimaginable to our ancestors, and yet we have never been more accessible. We live in an accelerating contradiction. The more connected we become, the lonelier we are. I'm not going to bore you with all of the statistics. I've read a bunch of them this week, but the conclusion is very clear. Social media has not taken our friendships to another level. It's really done the exact opposite It has undermined and eroded real, genuine friendships and what they look like. And so, 
We have to ask ourselves this question. In our social media obsessed generation and culture, is real friendship even possible anymore? Well, if you're visiting with us here this morning, a special welcome to you. Uh, we are here at St. Paul's Bible Church in the middle of a study of the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And we're calling this series A Blast from the Past. What we're doing is we're trying to look at the Old Testament stories here in 1 Samuel in order to learn some lessons that are applicable to our lives today. And so if you've got a Bible with you this morning or you can open that Bible app or grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. But I want to invite you to join me in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This morning we are going to be looking at two or three uh, chapters of scripture. But as we look at 1 Samuel, we believe uh, that, that there is this biblical example here of what genuine friendship looks like between two men named David and Jonathan. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 18. I want to begin by reading the first uh, few verses here. And we're going to begin in verse 1. I want you to listen to what the Word of God says here. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David and Saul, they're having a conversation together. It says, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. He's talking about David here, that Saul um, took him, brought him into their family. It says, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he had, that he was, that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword and bow and his belt. Now, we're going to read a little bit more here in depth about this friendship that David and Jonathan enjoyed. But in these opening verses, it says that their souls were knit together. That's the idea of being bound. It's being uh, tying something together. In Hebrew, it's the uh, description of a situation where we get very attached to someone we have this super close friendship with them. But as we read the story of David and Jonathan, there, there was this depth of friendship that they enjoyed that had a great effect on David's life. In fact, it was this friendship with Jonathan that enabled David to walk through one of the most difficult circumstances of his life, which was his relationship with Saul, the king that David was anointed to replace, who happened to be as well Jonathan's dad. This friendship that David and Jonathan enjoyed is what God used to sustain David in the midst of this difficult circumstance. There's a life lesson that I want to give you here today as we begin. We're going to uh, talk about this, unwrap this here this morning, but we're going to put this up on the screen and I want you to see this. Here's what it is. Genuine biblical friendship greatly blesses and impacts my life. Genuine biblical friendship greatly blesses and impacts my life. Let me ask you a question. 
As you hear that lesson, who comes to mind for you? Now, don't say their name out loud because uh, the person next to you might not be the person that uh, comes to your mind first. And uh, I don't want their feelings to be hurt, and so let's not say it out loud. But when you think about genuine biblical friendship, and you're having this, and this having a tremendous impact on your life, who comes to your mind? When I think about that, there are a few men that come to my mind who are in my life, men who over the years God has brought into my life and they have impacted my life, they have sustained my life, they have breathed life into my life on so many different occasions. But for you, who are the genuine biblical friends that come to your mind? Well, David and Jonathan are an example of this, but before we uh, talk about what real genuine friendship looks like, I just want to give you two very practical suggestions here as a bit of a foundation for what it is that we're going to talk about today. Here's the first one. Wisdom leads us to choose friends carefully. Wisdom leads us to choose friends carefully. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13. It says, verse 20, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That phrase, suffer harm, is a Hebrew word that implies breaking or shattering. And what this proverb is saying here is that choosing the wrong friends can lead to real brokenness in our lives. God gave us this biblical principle of friendship in order to strengthen, uplift, and encourage. And uh, when, when we choose the wrong friends and allow the wrong people to have this significant impact in our lives, the Bible says that that's always going to lead to brokenness. It's going to lead to pain. It's going to lead to other bad decisions. In fact, here's a reality that I have come to grips with in my own life. The, the, the relational choices that I make set the environment for which decisions will be made. Let me say that again. The relational choices that I make set the environment for which decisions will be made. All of us are going to make choices and decisions in our lives, but the way that those choices are made, those decisions are going to be shaped often by the people that we allow to be around us, to speak into our lives. And so wisdom demands that you and I make wise decisions about the friends that we choose. There's a second foundational point here that I want to make and share with you, and that is this. My closest friendships should be with other followers of Jesus. Now let me let that sink in for a moment. My closest friendships would, should be with other followers of Jesus. Now I'm not saying that you should not be friends with people who don't know Jesus. Obviously the Great Commission demands that we cultivate these relationships with people who uh, do not know God and we do that so that we can, God can use those relationships in order to bring these unbelievers to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But, uh, you know, so, so there is a need to have uh, friendships with people who are not followers of Jesus on one level. But we need to be very careful that those who have the greatest influence in our lives share our passion for Christ and for his kingdom. Let me show it to you in Second Chronicles, or Second Corinthians, rather. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. It says this, 
Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, this is a verse that's often used in the context of marriage, and it does apply there. But this idea is not just about marriage. It is talking about relationships in general. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And what Paul is saying there is, listen, it makes no sense for you and I as followers of Jesus to allow the people who are going to have the most influence in our lives to be those who have completely different worldview than we do. A completely different perspective, a completely different purpose in their lives. The people who are going to have that kind of influence in our lives always must be followers of Jesus Christ. Look, there there are friends and then there are friends. We we all have uh, these kinds of friends in our lives. I'm friends with people who are uh, from a different religious background or or different um, um, faith background than I am. They have different worldviews than I do because my hope is that I have an opportunity through that relationship to share Jesus with them. But when when we're talking about these deep friendships with people who are speaking into our lives, it's imperative that those closest friendships are with other followers followers of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be very careful about the friends that we choose. But that, with that as a bit of a foundation here for us this morning, I want to give us four marks of genuine biblical friendships that we learn here from David and Jonathan's relationship. And each of these four things, uh, we have two questions that we need to consider here. The first question is this, just this, am I this kind of friend? Listen, before we start holding up this list to people in our lives, we need to start looking in the mirror at ourselves. Am I this kind of friend? And then the second question has to do with our friends. Do I have these kinds of friends in my life? As I evaluate the close interpersonal relationships in my life, as I think about my 2 a.m. friends, those people that I can call at 2 o'clock in the morning and know that they're going to answer the phone, that they're going to be there for me, what kind of people are they? What kind of character do they have? And so as we talk about David and Jonathan, I want you to ask yourself these two questions. Am I that kind of friend? And then do I have those kinds of friends in my life? So here's mark number one, love, love. Genuine biblical friendship is defined by love. The Bible opens in verse one of chapter 18, and it says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. He loved him. The word love there is a word that means to have great affection or care towards someone. And it's the same word in the law that is given in Leviticus chapter 19 when it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This idea of loving one another is repeated 21 times in the New Testament, and it describes how you and I are to relate to each other. Here's an example, John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Genuine biblical friendship is rooted in love for each other. Now, just thinking about that word, we, we, we have let our culture shape and influence how we think about love. 
You know, the, the word love is often used in a way these days to mean that, that something that it's not ever been intended to mean. Our, our culture has taken the word love. It has cheapened it into nothing more than just an emotional feeling or a physical expression that, that comes and goes. And, and, and so as you just think about this here, um, not, there's not, this is not the kind of love that the Bible's talking about. Between David and Jonathan, it's not the kind of love that Jesus talked about when he said that we are to love one another. It's not this cheap emotional feeling where you wake up one day and you have it, and then you wake up the next day and you've lost it. And it's not a physical affection between two people. What's being described is something that is infinitely greater than that. Which is why in John chapter 13, Jesus kind of sets the standard for us when he says, even as I have loved you. That's the way that we are to love one another. And so we ask the question, well, what does love look like in a friendship when it is rooted in the love of God, the love of Jesus for us? Well, I want you to just think about some of the ways that God has loved us. Uh, For example, he loves us unconditionally. That, that he will never stop loving us the way that he does right now. Unconditional love never abandons the friendship. Unconditional love doesn't break fellowship when a friend's behavior does not meet up to your expectation. Unconditional love just loves. As, uh, as you think about that, am I the type of friend who just loves unconditionally? That's a question that you need to ask. Jesus also loves us sacrificially, that he gave his life for us. You know, the core message of the gospel is rooted in the sacrificial love of God. In fact, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, and we're going to put this up on the screen. I want you to go ahead and read this along with me. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God said, I'm going to show you how much I love you. That even though you're a sinner, I will give my son Jesus for you. Jesus died in our place. He took our sin upon himself so that we could be made right with God. The message of the gospel is that God loved us and he sacrificed his own son so that you and I could be born again and have a relationship, fellowship with God. That that is the glorious message of the gospel. And if you have never experienced that before, listen, friend, today you can. Today you can experience the loving kindness of God in your life and accept his free gift of salvation. Friend, God loves you. But listen, God says this is the same kind of love that I want you to show to one another. In fact, listen to what John chapter 15 says. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friend. Love, in the context of friendship, is willing to sacrifice, willing to give. Jesus also uh, loves us honestly. The Bible tells us that Jesus always spoke the truth in love. A true friend doesn't just tell you what you want to hear, but a true friend tells you what you need to hear. The first mark of genuine biblical friendship is rooted in love. It's unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's honest. 
And, and we could go on and talk more about this, but David and Jonathan had a love for each other. Secondly, humility. Genuine biblical friendship is characterized by humility towards one another. The defining passage on humility in the Bible is found in Philippians chapter 2. Here's what it says in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, that last statement would change most friendships. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that verse was not written yet when David and Jonathan were alive, but it could have been written in order to describe their relationship. Listen, I can't think of another example in Scripture other than Jesus of greater humility than Jonathan. And I mean that. Other than Jesus, I can't think of another example of humility in the scriptures that is greater than what Jonathan did. I want you to listen to what Charles Swindoll said about this. He said, what a friend Jonathan was. No pettiness, no envy, no jealousy. After all, Jonathan, as Saul's son, might have been the heir apparent. He might have wanted the praise of the people. Yet, here was this kid from the hills of Bethlehem garnering all of it. I want you to just picture this once. Here's Jonathan, the son of a king, the rightful heir of the throne of Israel, the one who should become king when his father dies. Samuel, he shows up on the scene and he anoints somebody. He anoints somebody else, a guy by the name of David. David gets uh, put in this place that should have been Jonathan's. Jonathan is out defeating armies. Jonathan is defeating the Philistines, and yet everybody is out praising David. As you read down through chapter 18, the Bible tells us in verse 16 that all of Israel and Judah loved David. You think about that. I mean, here's Jonathan. All of the lights should have been shining on Jonathan. Uh, the, the throne should have been Jonathan's. The power should have been Jonathan's. The praise should have been Jonathan's. And it's not like Jonathan had done something in order to disqualify himself. All he did was be the best military general that the nation of Israel had. And yet the Bible says that everybody loved David. And listen to what it says in, uh, about Jonathan and what he did in verse 4. It says he stripped himself of the robe that was on him. That's very significant because the robe that was on him would have been the royal robe. It would have represented the the royal family, the, the robe that identified him as the next king of Israel. And the Bible says that Jonathan took it off of himself and he gave it to David with his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan took off all of these things that represented his kingship and he handed them over to David. You see, this friendship with David was not grounded in what David could do for him. Rather, it was grounded in what he could do for David. What is that? It's humility. Not only looking out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Does that characterize the kind of friend that you are? I love what C.S. Lewis said about humility. 
True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Listen, Jonathan could have fought this thing, but he did it. He, he became David's best friend. And, and he not only became David's best friend, but he became the one who encouraged David all the way through the transition of him becoming king. He stood beside David and he did everything to celebrate David as the king. Humility. Let me give you a third mark. Loyalty. Loyalty. You look up the word loyalty in a dictionary and here's the way that it's defined. It's having or showing complete or constant support for somebody. Loyalty. Showing complete support. If you turn over in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 19, I want to read just the first five verses there. Here's what it says. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. As, you know, Saul knew that Jonathan and David were close friends, and yet he tells his son and all of his servants, go kill David, which would have been a very easy thing for Jonathan to probably accept. It, it, I mean, he could have gotten back everything that he lost. But it says, Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to him. I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. Verse 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hands, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? You see, genuine biblical friends stand with you regardless of how difficult the circumstances in life become. You've heard it said, fair weather friends. Jonathan is not a fair weather friend. The heat is turned up. The circumstances had become difficult. It was costing Jonathan something to be a friend to David. And yet the Bible says that he was loyal. And it wasn't like he was just loyal in his heart. He was loyal with his mouth as well. I like friends like that. Amen? I like friends that are loyal in their heart. But I need some friends who are going to be loyal with their mouths as well. When it was time to speak up, the Bible said that Jonathan spoke up and he spoke well of David. Jonathan was loyal to David. There's one more characteristic that I want to give you here, and it's the word sharpening. Sharpening. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says this. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. 
The analogy there is of taking these iron weapons, uh, iron tools, and using them to bang against each other in order to sharpen them. And so, you, you know, you, you hit these tools against each other, and, and they become more useful for the task, for whatever task was. And you were maybe working out in the field, and you needed something sharp for that, or maybe in construction, or fighting a battle, whatever it was. But you take these two things, you start rubbing them against each other, and they become more useful for whatever the task task was well here's the principle god desires to use our friendships to sharpen us so that we can become more useful for his glory real genuine biblical friends sharpen you in your walk with god if you turn over to first samuel chapter 23 you see this in the lives of david and jonathan first samuel 23 i want to pick it up in verse 15 It says, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And and he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. What a statement. David, you're going to be on the seat on the throne that I should have been on. And you know what? I'm going to be right next to you. I'm going to be supporting you the whole entire way. Saul, my father, also knows this. Verse 18. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained in Horesh and Jonathan went home. Their relationship sharpened each other. I want to give you a couple of examples of this and you know there's a lot of things that we could say about this but I'm going to just focus on two ways that they sharpened each other and that we can as well. First of all we sharpen each other by encouraging by encouraging the Bible says that Jonathan strengthened his hand or encouraged him in God. Jonathan came alongside David and he breathed life. He breathed strength. He encouraged David. How do we encourage each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we encourage our friendships in a way that sharpens? I want to give you a couple of examples here right out of these verses. Number one is that we do it with the promises of God. Did, did, did you know what, what Jonathan did there? I, you, you hear here that, that uh, Saul is out to get David. David knows this, and he is a bit shaken about this. David is saying, you know what? I know I've been anointed as the next king, but listen, the circumstances don't look too good here. I'm number one on the most wanted list of the nation of Israel. In fact, the king is sending everybody out to execute me. Jonathan shows up and he says, David, don't you remember what God said? God said that you are going to be king. You can trust in the promises of God. Sometimes as a friend, you need to speak into a brother's life, into a sister's life, and you need to remind them of the promises of God, that God is who he says he is, that God will do what he has said he will do. This past week, I was talking to a friend who was walking through a very difficult time in his life, very, very discouraged. And I was listening to him talk, and, um, you know, for the first 10, 15 minutes, he talked, and, 
And, and, and I didn't really say anything. I just listened to what he had to say as he was kind of pouring out his heart to me. And, and, and as he was talking, I was thinking, Lord, would you just give me a promise from your word that I could share with him? He finishes sharing, and, and I said, listen, I want to walk with you through this, but I also want you to just hear what God has to say. And then I read to him this promise of God. And I can't really explain to you everything that happened in that moment, but my friend said to me, you know what? This whole thing has been really weighing me down. This whole thing I've just been felt uh, crushed by. I've been being eaten alive by. But I, I feel so encouraged after you read those verses to me. I'm just saying that you can do the same thing that I did. That you can speak the promises of God into the life of a friend. And those promises can be such an encouragement to them. Another thing that, that you can do to encourage is just to be present. Just to be there. I mean, Jonathan here, the Bible says that, that Jonathan said to David, Hey, you're going to be the next king and I'm going to be right next to you. David, you're not going to be going through this whole thing all by yourself. Listen, I've been in some difficult spots in my life, and I know that some of you have as well. You know the, the funny thing about those times? I, I, I don't really remember a whole lot about what people said to me during those moments, those difficult times, but I'll never forget the people who were right beside me in those times. Jonathan said, David, you know what? It's going to be tough, but you're going to be the next king. That's what God said. And no matter what you go through in order to get there, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right by your side the whole entire way. Listen, genuine biblical friends encourage each other by speaking the promises of God into each other's lives and by being present on difficult days. But let me just give you a second way that we can sharpen each other, not just by encouragement, but also by accountability. Accountability. Genuine biblical friends hold each other accountable in their walk with God. I want you to see what it says there again in verse 18 of chapter 23. It says, And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. The word covenant is a word that simply means to make an agreement. And I think about that and how that happens and and that they say, listen, you know what? We've heard God speak on this issue of you being king, David. And then they said, you know what? We are going to agree together that we are going to walk together and we are going to trust God to carry out his promises in our lives. God had spoken, David, you're going to be king. Jonathan reminded him, hey, David, you're going to be king. That's what God has said. And so they make this covenant. They make this agreement together. Listen, we are in this together. What we call that today is accountability. And what genuine biblical friends do is they come alongside each other and they just say, listen, we're not going to walk through life alone. In fact, I'm going to hold you accountable. You're going to hold me accountable. We are going to walk together and we are going to see together that everything that God has said about us in his word is going to happen because we are in this together. This is what Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says. Two are better than one because they have a good re reward for their toil. 
For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to the one who falls and does not have a genuine biblical friend to lift him up. Look, every one of us needs some people like that in our lives, some genuine biblical friends who don't just tell us what we want to hear, but who keep us accountable to living out the promises of God in our lives. We all need to be sharpened. And one of the ways that that happens is through accountability. Let me just go back through this really quickly again. Am I this kind of friend? Am I loving, unconditional, sacrificial, honest? Am I humble? Am I in that relationship for what's in it for me or what's in it for them? Am I loyal, not just with my heart, but with my mouth as well? And is my relationship with them, sharpening them in their walk with God? Am I this kind of friend? And then, when it comes to the people that I allow to be the closest people in my life, are those the kinds of people that they are? Here's the lesson. Genuine biblical friendship greatly blesses and impacts our life.